0: Years ago, when a ministry was happening, pastors used to sit on the platform. Do you remember those days? I really miss those days. And the reason for that is because I love to people watch. My grandmother and I, we, when I was a young boy, I was raised in a home with my mother, my grandmother, and three sisters. And one of the things that we would often do is go shopping and I would often be the one that stayed with my grandmother, and she would always buy me something to eat, and we would sit and we would people watch. I love to do that, and I miss that. You know, sitting up here in the front is nice, but sitting on here and looking out at you would be a little nicer. One of the places I love to people watch is this place called Costco. (laughs) You've heard of it, huh? Costco is an amazing place. You buy something there for... 50 people, right? It's, it's, you don't go in there for something for yourself. It's for the entire world for the rest of your life because it's so big. The thing that happens oftentimes with, with Costco when I go in there is there's the man on the mission. He's the guy with the cart that's racing through the aisles. He's looking for that one or two things that his wife has sent him to pick up. He's racing through the aisles. Uh, I also love Costco because there, there's the walking the cart man He thinks his cart is a dog, and so he's standing on the side of it and taking up two slices or two spots in the aisle. That's a no-no. You don't do that. Get behind your cart, right? Uh, There's also that guy that's the coffee man. He's got one hand holding his coffee. The other hand, he's trying to guide his cart. And at Costco, they're not ordinary carts. They're much larger carts, so it's harder to maneuver with one hand. But there's that guy that does that. And there's the, the manager man. He is the manager. He knows exactly how things are to be done. He's telling his wife how to strategically uh, put things into the cart so that everything will fit, and uh, you can hear him. He's just instructing everyone, manager guy. And then there's dad day out guy. Dad day out guy is the guy with the two kids that are running up and down the aisles, the one kid in the cart that he's trying to keep there, and he's talking loudly to everyone about how great of a father he is, right? We're wearing masks because nobody else cares like we care, he yells out. The variety of people in life is a wonderful part of what makes life so interesting. But this morning, the reason why we talk about and introduce ourselves to a variety of people is because I am hopeful that by the end of this service, you are able to understand the variety of people, the variety of those that are here today, all have accessibility to the Savior. So if you take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 5, I am hopeful that you will be able to see how striking it is and how revealing it is that the Savior, Jesus Christ, is accessible to you this morning. Uh, there are a wide variety of people, and we will see two of those people and how different they are, but yet we will see the thing they have in common is they receive Christ's love and mercy because it is accessible this morning to you. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at Mark chapter 5, beginning at verse 22, and we're going to see three reminders on on accessing the Savior. Three reminders on accessing the Savior. The first reminder is that failure is revealing. Failure is revealing. Look at verse 22 of Mark chapter 5. worse. Two people, Jairus, has a daughter. Uh, It is in Luke's account that we find out that she was 12 years old, and his 12-year-old daughter had brought him many days of gladness. And then you have this woman who has the issue of blood for 12 years, and she has had many years, 12 years of sadness, a contrast of people. Jairus, the woman with the issue of blood, they are both desperate and desolate in this moment in which they approach Jesus. Uh, They both find help. They both find their need being met at the feet of Jesus. We'll talk about that more in just a moment. But Jairus, in verse 22, Jairus the ruler, came for Jesus' help. Now this is an unusual thing because usually the rulers of the synagogue were there to test Jesus. You know, to contest, to try him, to find out. Who are you? Who do you think you are? What do you think you're doing here? Those kinds of questions. But not Jairus. Jairus has come. He has come before the cross, before the resurrection, to meet Jesus. Because he has failed to find a way to cure his daughter, so now he comes to Jesus and wants Jesus to help him. He is the ruler of the synagogue, a position of prominence. And then you drop in and you find out about this woman who isn't even named. She has no standing. She has no prominence. She has no position. In fact, she is an outcast. She is an outcast. But these two different kinds of people come to Jesus because of the failures in their own life. Failure reveals my need for Jesus. We need to be reminded that failure is revealing. It's also interesting to note, uh, remember Mary and the Magnificat, when Mary found out that she was going to have Jesus In uh, Luke chapter 1, she prays a prayer, and in that prayer, she prays that he would be able to humble those that are high and to raise up those that are poor. That's exactly what's happening here. Jairus, the high guy, is now made humble, and this woman with the issue of blood is humble, coming to Jesus, and they both find great success. It says that there is a discharge of blood for 12 years You can write this down and and do it later. I I am a school teacher, so homework is imperative, right? Uh, You can write down Leviticus chapter 5, verses 19 through 27. In Leviticus 5, 19 through 27, you'll find out that this was a problem that the people dealt with. And the result of the Hebrew law, the law says that she is to be segregated from the community. The Hebrew law says that she is to be segregated from the worshipers. This is a a hygiene issue. Twelve years of isolation, ostracization. Twelve years of being set apart, of being alone. Not to to, uh, even imagine how exhausted and weak she must be from this issue of blood. But socially being cast aside and set aside. No temple, no synagogue, no other religious rites. She is unclean, and whatever she touched becomes unclean, so keep her away. Keep her away. The law of the rabbis allowed for divorce and dismissal in this situation. So she was probably a divorced woman who had been shoved aside and pushed apart from everything else. She is ostracized from society and by society. We shouldn't be surprised that this kind of person lands at the feet of Jesus, should we? Isn't this Jesus' way? Jesus' way is to find those that have been outcast, those that have been set aside. Uh, If you look earlier in Mark chapter 5, you find out about the the demon-possessed man. Nobody wanted anything to do with him, but Jesus went to him. What about Levi? Levi, the tax collector, socially outcast. No one wanted to be around a tax collector. Jesus says, come follow me, and calls him Matthew, This is nothing new for Jesus. He is one who is able to take those that seem to be beyond society's reach or religion's reach and touch their lives and transform them. This morning, Jairus of prominence, the woman with the issue of blood, an outcast. You see, Jesus is all about breaking boundaries and touching the untouchable. The cross, the cross is the thing that He became sin for us on the cross. He became sin for us, all of our sin and our uncleanness. He takes to the cross. He dies for us. He is victorious over it. Your pastor heard a great message, Vodi Bachman. He talked about breaking the, the penalty of sin, breaking the power of sin, breaking the presence of sin. That's what Jesus did for us. Jesus takes the outcast. This is Jesus' way. But as Jesus and Jairus are going, this woman interrupts them. When Jesus and Jairus are going, remember the mission. The mission is, let's get to my, my house, Jairus says. Let's get to my house because my daughter is sick, and if you go there, you can heal her. But Jesus is interrupted by this woman and this crowd we need to pause for just a moment, don't we? We talk about becoming more like Jesus. We want to be like Jesus. So this morning, what do you think of interruptions? What do you think when that, that, that child or that spouse interrupts you? What do you think of, of interruptions? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is a sovereign, saving God? Amen. 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 But does that only apply to your salvation? Or does it apply to the interruptions in your day? My wife and I are both teachers, and we sit down at supper, and sometimes we talk about our day and the things that have happened. And if I begin to complain to her about people interrupting me, you know what she says? Well, maybe God sent them there to you. What a great reminder. Interruptions aren't interruptions. They are divine appointments. Somebody needs you that day and God has set up an appointment for you to be there and that's how Jesus handles this. Not an interruption, not at all. Instead, a divine opportunity. Now please, let's not get caught in the misconception here. Sometimes there is this misconception that the woman had the issue of blood because of sin in her life. That's not what's wrong here. This was a physical condition from which she she suffered. So there is not this sin problem. Uh, She had suffered under many physicians. This was a physical problem. Uh, The Talmud, which is uh, filled with Jewish teachings on how to do various things, the Talmud even addressed this issue, talking about onions and linen cloths and wine and uh, sheep dung and more wine to try to handle this bleeding problem. But none of that had worked. Notice what the text says. The text says, and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She was at the end of it. She was the end of it financially and socially, religiously. She had seen failure after failure after failure in her life. And it reveals her need for Jesus. Luke, which is written by a physician, says this, She could not be healed by anyone. She was incurable. This is the position of this woman. Bleeding for 12 years. Physically debilitating, socially isolating, and emotionally drained. This woman for 12 years. Some of you are sitting here feeling that that exact same thing. You have tried, society. You have tried to mix in and to, to do what society wants from you. You have tried to find the religion that's going to satisfy what it is that is creating this emptiness, this, this sense of need in your life. You have tried medicine. You have tried other chemical things and come up wanting. Because you need to be like the woman And realize that you have failed and that Jesus can meet your need. That's what she did. You have Jairus. He's named. He's wealthy. He's interceding on behalf of his daughter. He has had 12 years of daughter's joy. Then you have this other woman who is anonymous. She is broke. She has spent all that she has. She has come for herself, not for anyone else. She has had 12 years of sickness. Both had failures that led them to Jesus. The accessibility of our Savior begins with failure reveals our need. Please notice the second reminder that we have when we are uh, accessing our Savior. In Mark chapter 5, beginning at verse 27, she had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. The second reminder is that faith is required. Faith is required. Her conviction is clear, isn't it? She said. Now, she didn't say this out loud. She's saying this to herself. Because remember, to whom else can she say it? Nobody else wants to be near her. So she's saying to herself, if I but touch, if I do this. This is written in what we call the subjunctive mood. So it's a conditional statement. So it's not like she's saying, I hope, I hope, I hope. It's with certainty she says, if I do this, this will be the result. When I do this, it will be the result. And the result is, if I am going to be healed, it's going to come from this touch. This woman who has been ostracized, divorced, excommunicated, through no sin of her own, is in desperate need. She has tried everything, and now here is Jesus. And she's going to touch him. And she's going to touch his cloak. But please notice what she says. Uh, it, it says that she heard about Jesus. Do you see that? It says she had heard the reports about Jesus. Uh, Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. She had never seen anything according to what she's saying. She has heard all these things. Matthew, in Matthew chapter 9, if you back up into... Matthew chapter 9 is where this story is told. If you back up into Matthew chapter 8, you see that there is a leopard that has been cleansed. You see that the centurion's servant was healed. You see that Peter's mother-in-law had been healed. You see that Jesus cast out demons. You see that he had rebuked the winds. Uh, you see that he was this marvelous, powerful individual. And she had heard that. She had heard that. If you just back up into the book of Mark... Mark chapter 1, John, Peter, Andrew, and James decide to follow Jesus. She had heard about the transformation in their life. She had heard about him healing the paralytic in Mark chapter 2. She had perhaps heard about the call of Levi to be Matthew. She had perhaps heard about the the calming of the storm in Mark chapter 4. She had heard, she had heard. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. There's nothing to see. There's nothing to see. So this morning, if you're waiting to see something, there is nothing to see. There is something to hear. And you are to hear Jesus saves. You should hear that Jesus heals. You should hear that Jesus is the almighty, powerful God who is waiting for you to come to him. Uh, This morning, Jesus Christ is accessible to you. And she heard about that. Uh, There is an Anglican bishop, his name is J.C. Ryle. He wrote in the 19th century, he said this, Let us store up in our minds this history. It may perhaps help us mightily in some hour of need. This history meaning the story of this woman. Our faith may be feeble, our courage may be small, our grasp of the gospel and its promises may be weak and trembling, but after all, the grand question is, do we really trust only Christ? Do we look to Jesus, and only to Jesus, for pardon and peace? Faith is required. I don't know who said it, but you know, the Bible's all about Jesus. And they broke it down like this. The Old Testament uh, predicts Jesus. The Gospels, Jesus is revealed. In Acts, Jesus is preached. In the Epistles, Jesus is explained. In Revelation, Jesus is expected. Jesus is a big part of this. Think even just backing up into the Gospels. The Gospels, Jesus is revealed. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. Uh, They are not biographies. They are not historical accounts. They are Gospel stories that says that Jesus was born, lived, died, and rose again for you and for me. And that Jesus Christ, when we enter into that relationship with Him, by faith, We experience new life. Jesus. Jesus. The woman said, I'm going to touch his garment, and that's what she did in verse 27. She touched his garments. Uh, There were probably tassels on Jesus' garments. Tassels were worn by those that want to be identified by God. It was part of the Hebrew culture. So she probably touched one of those tassels. And when she says... If I just touch it, think about that for just a moment. This is a great adventure for her that she's about to embark on. Because who knows what's going to happen? Because remember, if you are unclean and you touch someone else, you make them unclean. So she's running that risk, but she's not thinking about that. Instead, remember what she's thinking about? If I but touch him, I will be made whole. So she's focusing on what Jesus can do. And it says touch. Touch is a bit of an undersell here. She didn't just touch it, she grabbed it. Literally in the text it says she grabbed hold of it. There wasn't just a simple touch. The power and the strength, the dynamic from Jesus comes to her and she is immediately healed. If you think about this woman for just a moment, she could have come up with all kinds of excuses, couldn't she? She could have said, you know what, I'm so tired. I am so worn out. I just can't do this. Or, or she could have said, you've got to be kidding me. Look at all these people. The crowd is just too great. I can't do this. Or, or nothing has worked for 12 years, so what makes me think this is going to work? Or she could have said, you know what, Jesus, he shouldn't be a last resort. Maybe I'll try one more thing, and then, we'll no excuses. No excuses. I know I'm here as a guest, and I don't want to overstep. But I have to ask, what is your excuse this morning for not reaching out by faith and accessing our Savior? and making him the priority in your life. No excuses. Three reminders on accessing the Savior. Failure is revealing. Faith is required. And the third thing is finality of the reward. Notice what happens in verse 30. Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. This woman, defiled, destitute, discouraged, finds deliverance from jesus the finality of her reward she turned she touched him she's whole she turned she touched him she was made whole the crowd was all around jesus bumping and touching him the difference was hers was a touch of faith the crowd was a touch of curiosity (laughs) Uh, They're bumping and getting close to try to see what Jesus is going to do next. She was bumping and touching and reaching for him so that she would receive the power from him, the saving power that Jesus has. Go back to what we learned about the unclean. The unclean, when they touch the clean person, makes that person unclean. You see what happened here? Just the opposite. When this unclean person touched the clean person, what did the clean person do? Made her clean. She's totally transformed. Her life has radically changed. Her faith has changed her. And there is this finality. You've got to love Jesus. Who touched me? You see that in the text? Who touched me? He looks at Peter. Peter, who was it? And Peter's like, you've got to be kidding me, Lord. Look at all these people. The crowd's too great. I think sometimes Jesus asks these rhetorical questions just to see how his disciples are going to react. And the disciples, they're confused. They don't know what's going on. They're surprised because they use the word pressing. This word pressing is the idea of a grape that's being smashed for wine. That's what the crowd was like. They're pressing. And, and Jesus says, who touched me? Come on, Lord. You've got to be kidding. We don't know who it was. They're pressing the crowd all around him. It's amazed. I'm amazed how a woman so weak managed to get to Jesus. Jesus. But we really shouldn't be amazed, should we? Because there is always a way. There is always the way. Think about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, remember Zacchaeus? What was his problem? He couldn't see. So what did he do? He climbed up in the tree to make a way to see Jesus. If, you, if your heart is being drawn by the Spirit of God, if your heart is being pulled by the Spirit of God, access to Jesus is available this morning. She came in fear and trembling. Do you see that? Who touched me? She comes in fear and trembling. She fell down. This is the same position that Jairus started with. When we started talking about Jairus, where was he? He was at the feet of Jesus. This woman, she touches Jesus, and when she gets close enough, she falls at his feet. What a wonderful position to learn something at the feet of Jesus. She had hoped, I think, to steal away. I think her hope was to get out of there. I've been healed, I'm out. What did she experience her whole life? For 12 years, she had experienced rejection. So you can't help but imagine that in her own mind, she's thinking, okay, I got what I needed, I'm out of here. But instead, Jesus identifies her, and she falls and she comes close to him. This is not a humiliation or an embarrassing thing. This is not Jesus trying to, to, to put someone on display This is Jesus exposing her to the crowd so that the crowd now knows she's been healed, that she is okay, that she has been made whole. Plus, you know, Jesus is really good at bringing his disciples out of the closet, isn't he? Jesus is really good about saying, okay, you're my follower, but now I need for you to go public. Think about Nicodemus. Remember Nicodemus in John chapter 3? Nicodemus came by night. But then, when Jesus was on the cross, Nicodemus came forward to claim the body with Joseph of Arimathea. And even the text calls Joseph a secret follower, right? Jesus has a way of bringing us out. If we're his followers, he, he wants us to be seen. Think about baptism. That's what baptism's for, right? To publicly proclaim what it is that Jesus Christ has done for me. But notice she comes in fear and trembling. Fear and trembling. She's not afraid. She's not afraid. Because if she were afraid, she would have never touched him. This fear and trembling is about awe and wonder. Think about Mark chapter 4. Remember in Mark chapter 4, Jesus is in the back of the boat, asleep, and the storm is raging, and the disciples wake him up and say, Don't you care? And Jesus rebuked the winds, And you remember the disciples' reaction? They were terrified. In awe and wonder that somebody can even make the sea and the wind obey. That's the same thing here. She is in awe and wonder. She is in the presence of the Almighty God. She is at the feet of Jesus. Awe and wonder. Uh, There's an old hymn, I'm sure, in your book. It's, uh, I Stand Amazed in the Presence. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love to me. One writer said this, he says, this is a song of gratitude and praise for the atoning death of Jesus. Slow it down in the chorus. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love to me. I'm 100 years old, and I sometimes think I've been saved my entire life. And sometimes I forget this to stand in awe and wonder at my Savior. Who found me and saved me from a life of lostness? The routine, the redundancy, sometimes causes us to forget we have opportunity every day to be in the presence of this person, Jesus. Uh, Jesus saved her. Are you amazed this morning? Are you amazed at what Jesus has done for you? There is a finality in the reward. She says this, she says in verse 33, Jesus says, uh, the, the text says this about her, and told the whole truth. All those around him heard of her faith, including Jairus. Jairus is standing right there. There's this testimony of faith. She tells the whole story, the whole story about what's going on. Wouldn't it be embarrassing? No, 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 no. It's not embarrassing because here is her opportunity to be face-to-face with the person who has saved her and to be able to recount to him and to see the tenderness in his eyes and to see the compassion. It is her opportunity to be able to experience face-to-face and feel Jesus Christ in her presence. And we have that every day in the Word of God. Every day in the Word of God, we can have that same experience. She has this moment And I love what happens when Jesus says, daughter. Do you see that? That's the same exact word that Jairus used of his own daughter. It is a a word that invokes this sense of adoption. She is no longer outside of the family. She is in the family. She has been adopted into the, the family of God because of Jesus Christ and the faith that she has placed in him. Uh, there is this marvelous thing that a woman who knew what it was to be separated and isolated is now a part of a family. Her life is totally transformed. Her, her situation has completely changed. She now gets to know what it's like to have Romans 8.28 as a part of her v- vocabulary. She will learn that all things work together for the good of those who are called according to what it is that Christ has done. The experience that is hers. There is the finality of the reward. Twelve years of agonizing pain has been replaced by the peace that comes with knowing Jesus. Do you see that? You meet Jesus, go in peace. This woman had not known peace for twelve years. Now she gets to know peace. She gets to know peace. Because she has been transformed. If you uh, end up reading Leviticus chapter 15. You'll find out that in Leviticus chapter 15, uh, she would have, in the normal Hebrew law, she would have had to wait 7 to 15 days to prove she was clean. It's not the way Jesus works. He transforms you now. Uh, There is that process of sanctifying. I understand that. But in the moment, you are saved. You are made His J.C. Ryle again says this, she came trembling and went back triumphing. She was now physically healed, but more than the physical healing, Jesus had given her the gift of eternal life. Her faith had made her whole. Whole. There's only one problem. Jesus was interrupted from a mission to save a young girl. And while they're finishing up and she is leaving in peace, there is another messenger that shows up. And in verse 35, do you see what happens? While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? While he was speaking, Jairus' servant comes and says, your daughter is dead. Now think about what, what could have been going on here. Here's Jairus wrapped up in this marvelous story of this woman, and for just this brief moment, he may have kind of set aside the illness of his daughter in his own mind, and then Jesus uses the word daughter, the same word that he has used, and all of a sudden this this moment of recognition, oh man, that's why we're here, my daughter, and then up comes the servant and says she's dead. She's dead. And, and it's almost like this, the same attitude. Do you, do you remember when um, Martha said to Jesus, if you had just been here earlier, Lazarus wouldn't be in the tomb? It's almost that same kind of tone. You know, Jesus, if you would have, you know, kind of hurried along here, she may not be dead. Uh, and, and keep in mind, a 12-year-old girl dying was a big deal from a lot of standpoint, because in their culture, between the ages of 12 and 14 is when you got engaged. You got married between the ages of 15 and 16, and so then you began your life pretty soon after that. And so here's this girl at age 12. All possibilities are over. Everything that the woman with the issues of blood had had happened to her, now is going to happen to this 12-year-old. She's not going to experience anything. It's over for her. And I, and. I did not point this out, but I love, John MacArthur pointed this out. Do do you see what the guy says? He says, why trouble the teacher? The teacher. And, And that's a great point. And the point is, Jesus was seen as a teacher. Reverence, respect for that position. They did not see him as a miracle worker. I think that's an interesting point, because this is a great sign of respect, but, but th- you're not waiting for a miracle. Instead, you're waiting for a message. I've come to see Jesus. Jesus is going to make the change, make the difference. This morning, please be impressed with the person of Jesus Christ. The first time I ever came to uh, Grace Chapel West Liberty, I may have told some of you this before, But uh, it was in the old uh, auditorium, and on the pulpit it says, Sir, we must see Jesus. I remember that because I was here with a group of uh, college students. We were going to go to the Philippines, and Frank Vitt was the one that got us in here. And we were standing here singing, there were about 10 of us, and I saw on the pulpit, Sir, we must see Jesus. This morning, don't get impressed with the miracle, don't get impressed with the woman's change but instead see Jesus this morning and see that he's the one that transforms your life. A relationship with him, a commitment to him, that makes all of the difference. And, and look what happens, though, in verse 40. Uh, and, and when Jesus gets there, he gets there and he finds out they're having this full-blown funeral. It's not a 21st century funeral. 21st century funerals are quiet, reverent, and things like that. Uh, not in the Middle East. The Middle East, their Eastern culture, first century funeral, uh, there's a huge commotion of people crying. You even hire people to come in and cry with you and to make a big deal. Uh, then you hire uh, flute players or musicians to play the dissonance. You, you know, that's what I sing. I'm a dissonant singer. You sing the melody, I sing dissonance. It's that kind of, you know like a dirge kind of thing. And Jesus walks in on all of that, and and he says, why are you making all this commotion and weeping? And he says this, the child is not dead, she is asleep. And what does the crowd do in verse 40? They laughed. Again, do you see the contrast? Here's this woman, 12 years of failure. She comes to Jesus. She falls at his feet, experiencing peace. Here are these people that are just for the show. They've just come for the show, and they're doing all of this, and Jesus says she's asleep, and they laugh at her. And they laugh about her, and they laugh at Jesus. Quite a contrast, fear and trembling to laughter. The laughter was so great, and the derision of Jesus was so great, that the funeral stopped, and everybody's turning on Jesus and making fun of him. I don't know if any of you are old enough to remember the old song about, uh, you know, you don't pull on Superman's cape. You don't spit into the wind. You don't mess with the junkyard dog. You don't laugh at Jesus. And that's what they did. And Jesus sends them away. He keeps just a couple of his disciples and they go in to, to Jairus' daughter and she is lying there And in tenderness, Jesus goes even more sweet and kind. And he says, Little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately she got up. Immediately. Mark loves that word immediate, doesn't he? Immediately she got up. Immediately the crowd was overcome with amazement. Immediately the woman's blood problem was removed. Immediately. Jesus reacted to, their tu- to her touch. Immediately, immediately. Come this morning and meet Jesus and immediately begin to change your life. Do you see in verse 43 what Jesus does? In verse 43 he says this. He says, No one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Don't tell anyone about this. I think there's two things going on here, right? One... If we tell everybody, what are they going to do? They're going to mob the house and overwhelm the family and the young child. So don't say anything. The second thing is, it's not time yet. Remember, he's going to send them. He's going to give them the message to take to the world. It's, it's coming, just not yet. Not yet. And, and we have this dead girl. We have this sick woman. We have Jairus, the ruler. All three, their life dramatically changed. Why? Because of the accessibility of the Savior. Their failure revealed their need. Their faith brought them to the sense of triumph. The finality of the word, of of, of their reward, it's, it's not shifting and shaking. It's now, it's happened. And it all happened because of trusting. Because of Jesus and trusting Him. There's a woman, her name was uh, Louisa Stead. She was born in Dover, England. And at a very young age, she committed her life to Christ and said, I want to be a missionary. She lived many of her years in Cincinnati. She even attended camp meetings in a place called Urbana, Ohio. She grew up and got married, and illness in her life kept her from going to the mission field. But she and her husband did have a young daughter and do some missionary work. One day, they decided to go to the beach. It was a beautiful, sunny day. They went to the beach in Long Island, New York. And while eating their picnic lunch, they heard a commotion in the water. And a young boy was uh, being overwhelmed by the waves. And so her husband jumps up and rushes into the water. And as sometimes happens, the person who is in greatest need draws down the person who's coming to save them. And so the young boy and the husband both were lost. The struggling boy pulled him under. Out of the question of why did this happen, Louisa Stead wrote these words, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus and to take him at his word." just to rest upon his promise and to know, thus saith the Lord, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. Won't you trust him today? Let's pray. Father, you are a good God. And in your goodness, you have made provision for us. And we ask, Lord, that you would have your Spirit move in us and have your Spirit help us to understand your Word so that we can have access to your Son, Jesus Christ. And that we would transform our lives as a result of encountering Him through your Word. In Jesus' name, amen.